I think, you know, the world sort of evolved from a focus on management to a focus on leadership and leadership happens at every stage of the organization. And I, I want every person in my team to feel like they have the opportunity to be heard, the opportunity to be seen, um, and then they, they know what kind of leader they want to be and um, how they want to show up. Welcome to Media Sales Confidential, where we get the inside information from some of the world's most respected and innovative leaders. I'm Matt Bartles, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Sarah Personette, Chief Customer Officer at Twitter. We have a two-part episode with Sarah. The first part I call too good not to be better. We dig into the evolution and influences of her career and how it's really shaped her leadership values, the adversities and challenges that she has had to overcome and how she's dealt with those. And we get to hear about the greatest accomplishment in her life. Let's go. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good, good, good. Really excited to have you on. Today, you've been extremely active in charitable work and civic work, and you've had leadership positions at Facebook, Refinery29, and most recently, Twitter. Now, normally, Sarah, we like to start off with why you decided to get into media ad sales, but we've had a quick turn of events here in this August timeframe that I think warrants the immediate discussion. Talk to us a little bit about the changes that you've made at Twitter. Absolutely. Um, well, first, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Delighted to be here. And also very proud to share that I've taken on a new role. My historical boss, Matt Drella, who is one of the most incredible champions and allies and sponsors, I think, in the industry and certainly at Twitter, has chosen to move on. He's getting He's finished up nine years, nine incredible years at Twitter leading the customer's organization and is now taking some time to really focus on his family. And so with that, Jack has chosen me to, to take over the helm, um, which are really big shoes to fill because anyone who's worked with Matt knows how incredible he is. And this is leading the customer's organization, which is basically focused on driving all of our diversified revenue streams, focused on our individual customer segments. So we service large agencies and large advertisers. We service small and mid-sized businesses. We service developers to innovatively build and create on our platform. We service creators. We service publishers as both partners in content development, as well as um, advertisers on our platform and a series of others. So it's quite an honor of I think of my career to be able to, to step into these shoes and step into this position to lead such an incredible leadership team that is the whole of customers. That is a enormous job. What was your job responsibilities before and what has been incremental now? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. What I was doing before was leading Twitter client solutions, which is all of our large agency and large advertiser relationships, our brand strategy team, our revenue product go to market, all of our reseller relationships, our API partner relationships. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a significant remit and a significantly sized team that is fully global. So the majority of offices that we have around the world are sales-led offices. And it accounts for right now, uh, probably about 80% of our revenue. So people-wise and revenue-wise was the lion's share of the customer's team. 
what is new is taking on the remit of our SMB organization, which is led by the incredible Joe Farner, um, taking on our Twitter developer platform team, which has been historically our data licensing business, which is focused a lot more now on developers our um, programmatic offering in MoPub, our sales uh, strategy and operations team, which has everything from internal tooling to central ops, um, so on and so forth. And I might be, oh, and then of of course, our global content partnerships organization, which is run by Jen Prince, another incredible leader inside of the company. And what's neat is I think because of having um, overseen such a broad swath of the business of our customers and especially all of our local markets pre-COVID. I had traveled to every single country and every single office outside of the U.S. and with the exception of South Korea to really listen and learn what was working for our teams and what was working for our customers across the full gamut of our customers. So now I feel like I'm able to bring that experience collectively together, but that is impossible to do if you don't have an amazing leadership team. And I'm really blessed that both our TCS leadership team, as well as the customer's leadership team is just phenomenal humans, but they're also um, folks that I think really help us. um, And I pull this quote from my dad, he always says, we are too good not to be better. And I think that's the, you know, general mantra of our collective leadership team is we're too good not to be better. So let's approach each day with what's the next thing that we can do to be more customer centric and also be more caring for each other. Sure. So congratulations on the chief customer officer role. Uh, that's you. a big deal, big step. So why did you decide to let's take it back now? Early days, Sarah, what what brought you into the idea of wanting to be in medias? Well, it's a great question because it took me a while actually to get into media sales. I would say the headline of my career is that I've created and collected a portfolio of diverse experience and skills that sit in lots of different customer segments. So I spent a a long time in the agency world working cross category in CPG and technology. I've worked at uh, two different platforms, obviously Facebook being one of them and and now Twitter. I have run an agency. I ran Universal McCann. I have sat on a publicly traded board, a small cap board called Build-A-Bear. I have run a publisher. I was CEO of Refinery29. So the reason why I say that is it has taken me a bit of time to get to a place where... I am you know, fully overseeing the revenue and sales for a company. Yep. And the reason for that is when every experience that I've done has been unique in and of itself, whether it's you know, owning marketing or whether it's owning um, you know, a company or owning strategy and operations and product. What I find to be really important in this role is the significant amount of accountability that is required when you are in charge of driving revenue. Mm -hmm. And it's accountability that I deeply feel to my team, that I feel to our company, that I feel to our customers, that I feel to our shareholders. And I think about this accountability as, as equally distributed across the board. And with that, balancing it with making sure we are always hearing the customer's voice Mm -hmm. and that we are acting and operating on behalf of our customers. And 
customers in my world is both all of the um, different segments that I walked through that we service, but also customers as you know, unique consumers of the platform. And that would be our users. That would be the people that come to the platform each and every day to tweet. And so I think carrying the mantle of that responsibility and that leadership is so uniquely weighted to this type of role. And I think the importance of it is never lost on me. And I don't mean importance from like an ego perspective, I mean, an importance from there are a lot of people that are depending on me, depending on this team. And I never, ever want to let them down. And I, I know I have that same strength of spirit with the folks that, you know, equally walk alongside me in this team. Extremely diverse set of experience in operations, working with agencies, working direct, working with the clients. Is it necessary is that the type of experience you think most leaders need to try to get a diversified set of experiences like that? Or is there a different path folks could take? Or is it just the one that you happen to be lucky enough to, to uh, take on? Matt, it's a really great question. And especially in a lot of the mentoring sessions that I do for both folks early on in their career or later on in their career, I think it is, it's really dependent on you as an individual. There are some folks that go so deep in a category mm-hmm. and in a function where as they rise to the challenge and as they grow in their career, that incredibly deep experience is what makes them successful. Mm-hmm. And while my path is different than someone's path who maybe stepped out of college and started in a you know a media sales position right out of college and might be in the same position you know at, at parity with me it doesn't mean that one is right or wrong i think my guidance would be make sure that you are constantly learning yeah. so i'm a, like one of my mantras ever since early days of my career is be the master of your own education and like I saw that through in terms of you know early days of, of digital and wanting to lean in there and learn and experiment with clients through to you know wanting to understand what it was like to to be a part of a technology company to to be more product focused in the past starting to license and franchise businesses I I started that work through reading textbooks yeah being that lifelong learner and realizing that at every stage of your leadership career, you probably need to reassess, like, do I need to change and evolve in order to be successful in this role? And if yes, how do you cultivate the skills and how do you pull from those past experiences? And that would be the thing that I would probably hold more most true is probably that reflection around leadership and then also, you know, making sure that you're just constantly learning and and not sitting in the status quo. Sounds easy, Sarah, to get a bunch of different experiences and then bring them together and become the chief customer officer. I don't think it's as easy as, as, as just saying, yeah, go change and do all these different things. How did you prepare? And were there any failures along the way that, that led you to a different course? Oh, I, I have failed often, early fail fast, learn faster is probably the benefit of that. You know, a couple of things that I will point to first, I'll say if you choose a job based on what you are going to learn 
and the value system that you are connected to, it is never going to be a bad choice. And for whatever reason, I have a like very high capacity for risk in pursuit of learning and in pursuit of being connected to a value system that is super high in integrity. And with that, if I'm not learning or if I feel like there is a breach in the integrity contract or with me, then those are reasons for me to rethink being in, you know, a certain experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean leaving a company, but it could mean seeking out a different role inside of that, uh, of a company. And, and, and that has happened a variety of different times in, in my career. So it, it certainly is not easy, but if I go back to failures, some of the smallest failures were probably the, the biggest ones to think about in the beginning of my career, introducing, this is when I was running the Coca-Cola business, introducing gaming as a effective, legitimate channel for them to be communicating with their core customers on. Yeah. This is this is 20 years ago, right? Okay. I completely failed at convincing them of that. But the pursuit of learning about, you know, a nascent channel at that time, a nascent consumer behavior, the not getting it approved and not having the strategy work was not demoralizing. I actually saw it as, wow, look at look at what we were able to put together. How can we leverage this learning and this experience and this discovery work for the next, you know, the next opportunity to pitch and to bring forward? What did we miss in this, yep. in this story that didn't work? Right. It's, a, it's such a small example, but it was, it was actually like a pretty defining moment for me. Sure. I think also there have been certain roles that I have gone for and have not gotten. And I think you know, when you look at someone's career, all you see are the the successes of the positions they they got. But in certain, like in many instances, there were times where I just raised my hands because there was an opportunity to learn, and I I didn't necessarily get that. Um, I can I can say you know in in the Facebook world, in some cases I had really great success in getting roles, and in some cases. I did not. And that should never be a detractor from continuing to try to move forward. My greatest example of that is pre-career in both grade school, middle school, high school, and college. I've run for about 10 elected positions. Okay. And I have won five of those elections and I have lost five of them starting with running for the head of student council when I was in fifth grade. Um, And then I ran again in sixth grade. I lost both times. Uh, (laughs) And I share that as like, that's a 50% success rate and it's a 50% failure rate. But I, I kept trying because I, I believed that I had something to give. Um, I believed that I had like the power to, connect people for, you know, whatever the, the vision was for the individual organizations that I was going for and not seeing failure as, as a, a reason to stop, but as a reason to keep going and hopefully get the opportunity at some point based on constantly, you know, reflecting in, in order to improve. And, and that's yeah. as a leader of t- large teams, like we all do, I think that's probably the biggest 
learning for, for me. I remember when I first took on my role at UM, there were a, a few people that did not want me in that role. And hearkening back to leading for not the three people that didn't want me in the role, but the 997 people that, that did yeah. and that were looking for a leader and um, you know, that wanted, wanted to feel some sense of purpose and connection got me through that time and, and made me so much stronger on the other side. And I, it, and we were able to do some incredible things as an agency during that time. And yeah. so it's a, it's a great question. Cause I think a lot of times you don't see those types of struggles and, and failures. Right. Um, when we see the, the resume. Back to the elections. If you can remember, what was your favorite slogan? One that won or one that lost maybe? You know, Do you remember any I, of them? I cannot. I can tell you. So I, I was um, president of Panhel my junior and senior year of college at Northwestern, which is like um, president of half of the Greek system, essentially. And it was when there were a lot of risk management issues. Uh, alcohol was being pulled out of tailgates and out of houses. And that particular platform was run. I, I ran on risk management. I haven't thought about that in a long time, but it's funny, even in the last two years, as um, you know, we in the, in the technology space and certainly the role that Twitter plays, so much of the work we have been doing is around brand safety. And sure. something I say is that humans, for us, brand safety means human safety. And that is ultimately an element of risk management and you know, a pursuit to be better. And it's funny that that was probably a big part of what that year and a half was spent doing was um, trying to help the, the Greek system evolve in a way that um, we got to do all the amazing things from a philanthropic and giving perspective and um, maybe had to shed some of the, the things that were more tarnishing to our reputation. Yeah, I love it. It's risk, the old risk management play. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you were going to run on a platform today if that would be incredibly sexy, but it's, a, it, it's at, least the, at least the truth. I love it. When you think of Sarah, you think of safety. That's <laughs> how we're going to win. That's how we're going to win. So that's great experience. If you take it now into what's going on with Twitter, there's been so much uncertainty pre-COVID with banning political ads, international conflict that you've had to deal with, and then you had the COVID situation. What has been your leadership message throughout these times and how have you made sure to uh, keep people together? Mm, it is such a wonderful, wonderful question. First, I'll, I will share that you don't know if you can be resilient until you face adversity. And adversity really speaks to conquering difficulties that you might have from a personal perspective that you might have a, from a, a professional perspective. And if you look back, if any of us look back at the last year and a half um, throughout the global pandemic, it has you know, it impacted people and different markets in different ways each and every day. If you think about the social justice movements um, that have happened in the US and around the world, if you think about just the compression of living at work versus working from home. You know, I think that's a lot of people felt that sort of in the transition. The reason I bring that up is every single person has real proof. And I share this with my team often that you are resilient, that you have conquered adversity. 
and that you saw it and you put a name to it and you are coming out on the other side stronger, more caring, more empathetic, more aware of how all of us, despite the ongoing digitization of the world, which is something that is very exciting to me as a marketer, but despite all of the digitization, us as people seeing each other as individuals has mattered more than ever before. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's one thing that I, I just constantly want to keep reminding my team of because it's it's easy to lose sight when you have you know a down moment, down minute, or a down hour um, because of still all this uncertainty that surrounds us. And so that's probably the, the first thing, which has been really consistent. The second thing I would say is really taking the time to define what kind of leader each of us wants to be has mattered uh, during this time because it also defines how we show up. My values as a, as a leader are to be kind, principled, high-performing, authentic, and inclusive. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. It was recently played back to me that I, I'm seen as being tough, fair, kind, and inclusive. And while they don't exactly match, like I certainly will take that. And my guidance to my team, and I, I think just more broadly to anyone that I talk with in, in the industry, is how do you ensure that how you act and how you operate consistently reflects your leadership values. Yeah. And I think when the world, you know, the world sort of evolves from a focus on management to a focus on leadership and leadership happens at every stage of the organization. And I, I want every person in, in my team to feel like, they have the opportunity to be heard, the opportunity to be, to be seen, um, and then they, they know what kind of leader they want to be and yeah. um, how they want to show up. Yeah. How did you derive your belief system? What were the major influences that got you to where you are today? Great question. It would first absolutely start with my parents. I grew up in a really civically minded household. My dad, you know, really significant uh, volunteer in, in Rotary International, and which is an organization that's done everything from helping to eradicate polio to bringing hospital equipment to more developed markets into high growth markets. And my mom has been very involved in education for a long period of time. So I think a part of it started with them just to be like, thinking more about what my responsibility is in terms of giving, you know, the, the old adage uh, to those who have much, much is expected. And I believe that. Um, yeah. And I take, I take that very seriously. And the second part would be that they just demonstrated an incredibly strong work ethic. Yeah. And, you know, we had some challenges from a, a family perspective at, at different points in, in my childhood. And they were just the most amazing parents, which taught me, resiliency. And it also has taught me ability to compartmentalize Mm -hmm. challenges. And that's probably one of the greatest gifts. Um, I, you know, in any given day, I'm sure, you know, you and your listeners can appreciate this. Like I am stacked from meeting to meeting, to meeting, to meeting and the topics 
are so different and many of them are very heavy weighted important topics and problems to solve and being able to be present in that conversation and then move to the next conversation and be present um, and not have the weight of the scenario, you know, connect across the core of the day is important in today's world too, where a lot of that is happening on the the personal side, in addition to the, to the professional world. So compartmentalize Um, things. So you, you mentioned earlier at the very, very beginning, you said that your dad said that we are too good not to be better. We are too good not to be better. How did that come about and how did that, it sounds like it's still stuck with you uh, and how are you using that in your career now? Yes. So my dad was taking on, uh, he was, he was being sworn in for the president of the local rotary chapter when I was like seven, eight or nine, we all jumped in our family van um, and, you know, got to the event. He's doing his closing speech. There are, you know, a, a ton of very successful individuals in the room listening to him. Um, and they've done, you know, at, at that stage, they had done some incredible work. And my dad ended with this quote, we are too good not to be better. And at first it was very little, but at first I remember being so surprised that he was saying that to this group of accomplished individuals. But in that moment, it sort of, it changed my perspective on how I would approach my academic career, my, you know, career in, in leadership. I don't think when I was seven or eight, I was thinking about a career in leadership, but like if I were to give language to my seven-year-old self, that would have been something. And then also, you know, how I thought about relationships with friends, relationships with um, family. And I think that that push, um, to deliver. And then once you've delivered, ask the question of like, what can we do better next time has been a a massive propellant for me in any position, role, life stage that I am in. You know, I'm, I have two amazing, amazing little boys and I will fully say the greatest accomplishment of my life is being their mom. And I am always asking myself, like, you know, how can I be better as a mom? And that doesn't mean that in either any of those roles or in my personal life that I don't appreciate where I've been or I don't appreciate the work that we might have created or contributed as a team or as a family. But we always have our sights set on high performance and, and excellence and, you know, contributing more to the world then I think, you know, I think we will get there. Uh, and I later came to, as I quoted my dad for decades on that, I later learned from him that it wasn't actually his quote. It was Warren Buffett's. So I need to give like appropriate, <laughs> it was really funny. I was like, seriously, dad, I've been quoting you on this for like years. So that is the funny, like turn around on that yeah. story, but I will take it. Quoting Warren Buffett's not a bad thing. He's no. a pretty, pretty awesome leader. Of course. Also your dad. Warren Buffett yeah. and my dad. We are too good not to be better. Exactly. <laughs> and Gary Person. <laughs> and Sarah Person. I love it. Thank you for listening to part one of the Media Sales Confidential Podcast with Matt Bartles and Sarah Personette. Make sure to catch part two. It is jam packed. It's what I call leadership is local.
We talk about imposter syndrome. We talk about the power of inclusivity. We talk about leading in a VUCA world and must read books.